Welcome to Florida. That is the voice of best-selling author Craig Pittman. He is also an award-winning environmental reporter with work coming out soon in National Geographic. That is a little bit of a tease to a future episode of Welcome to Florida. We are going to have some fun today talking to Diana Beckman of the Florida House. Now, what makes Florida House special, Craig? Well, uh, Florida is the only state that has an embassy in Washington, D.C. Only <laughs> the only state that needs an embassy in Washington, D.C. And Diana is a, uh, a Florida native, grew up in the Panhandle, so she's got some stories to tell about, about that as well as, you know, how she represents Florida in a foreign land. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am originally from Wisconsin, and I'm going to pull back the curtain here on the podcast a little bit and let folks know that we release new episodes every Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and record our episodes Thursday afternoon. We are recording this episode days after another innocent, unarmed black man was nearly murdered by police in America. This occurred uh, 30, 40 miles from where I was born and raised. And I continue to be numb at the lack, I won't say the lack of compassion, because there are a lot of people who are compassionate, at the number of people on the other side who continue to believe and promote these myths of a few bad apples and well you didn't see what happened before the video all of these lies and excuses that continue to allow police to operate with near impunity across the country brutalizing black people and i have had a real hard time getting off twitter and the news channels here craig in the past couple of days as I continue to see the forces of good fight for this country and a future for this country and evolution and progression and equality and the forces of evil in this country spearheaded, in my opinion, by Donald Trump, continue to attempt to take us backwards to a country that worked for the very few. You know, there's a Florida angle to this story, as there always is, uh, in that the, now the biggest protest about what happened is occurring here in Florida with the NBA players mm-hmm. walking off the court and saying, we're not going to play. And that protest spread beyond the uh, Milwaukee team to the to the other teams in the NBA playoffs and the NBA bubble mm-hmm. at Walt Disney World and then to other sports. Baseball games canceled, tennis match called off because yep. athletes said, we want to make a point here. We want to make a statement here that this is wrong and... Our lives matter just yep. as much as everyone yep. else's do. Well, and that's that's the whole Black Lives Matter reality. We aren't saying yep. that uh, elderly women don't matter or that uh, white kids don't matter, but elderly women and white kids aren't being brutalized and murders in the street of America every single day. Black men are. And that's why it's important to reinforce that black lives matter. And these NBA players who are... Uh, bubbled in Orlando, Florida, to play the remainder of their season uh, due to the coronavirus, are saying that we matter because they are a direct reflection of George Floyd, of Ahmaud Aubrey, of Jacob Blake. They are black men, and their power, unfortunately, comes through sports because a lot of white people don't recognize black people in any other venue outside of athletes. And if 
athletes, if black men have to end sports in America for a matter of days, weeks, or months to force and demand the changes they want to see with policing and to get rid of racist cops and racist sheriffs and uh, racist district attorneys, then I applaud them. And I earn a living on sports. I'm the program director at the sports radio station in Jacksonville, Florida. And if I lose my job because there are no sports to talk about and the advertising climate dries up, so be it if it prevents more of what we are seeing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Oh, Florida, sort of, the genesis was kind of around Trayvon Martin, is that right? Yeah. The yeah, case? Yeah, actually. Take us the, back to that. The, <laughs> I had been tweeting uh, a lot of the, the wacky Florida stories that go on here, and I used the tag, Oh, Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my followers on Twitter uh, is a woman named Laura Helmuth, who was an editor at Slate at the time, and she uh, contacted me and said, hey, the George Zimmerman trial is coming up for the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Uh, while that's going on, we'd love for you to blog about Florida, about other aspects of Florida, to tell people, you know, it's not the caricature you think it is. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot more to it than that. So uh, with the permission of my editors at my then employer, the, the Tampa Bay Times, I spent a month writing about Florida, and that became the genesis for the book, Oh, Florida, which includes an awful lot of the wacky stories, but also serious stuff like mm-hmm. the origin of the Stand Your Ground law, and how it was actually written by the NRA, by the NRA's top lobbyist, Marion Hammer, mm-hmm. um, and the whole history of racial strife in Florida, and how the, you know, the 1964 Civil Rights Act was passed thanks to protest actions in St. Augustine led by Martin Luther King. So, yeah. you know, we should have, we should plan on. We haven't talked about this, but we should plan on maybe having Gilbert King, the Pulitzer-winning author of *Devil in the Grove*, come on as a future guest to talk about sort of the history of law enforcement in florida and how yeah we've got got a whole orchard full of bad apples in our history Uh, (laughs) the the king being willis mccall who was the sheriff in uh in lake county that he wrote about in uh, devil in the grove so would love to do that and you know I'm, i'm 45 years old and i believed this bad apple myth for all of those 45 years. Oh, you're 99% of cops are good and now cops are cops are the good guys and you know well, what was this uh, guy doing to precipitate a, a police officer drawing his weapon? If anything about my outlook has changed in 2020 and a great deal has, that has been number 1. Cops aren't always good. A great percentage of cops are outright violent racist thugs with a license to kill a buzzfeed story searched social media accounts of police officers and found 20 percent of them posted racist misogynistic violent uh posts and when you think about 800,000 law enforcement officers in the united states and 20 percent of them being racist misogynistic violent to the point of Putting that on social media, you're talking about a hundred thousand bad cops. This is well, not it, a it few bad apples. The, it just goes to the, the whole, you know, the whole culture of, mm-hmm. of police. But that's a, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, absolutely, and we will yeah. get there for sure to lighten yeah. the mood a little bit. I follow yeah. Craig on Facebook, and everyone uh, else should as well at Craig Times. You are a huge music fan. Because you post constantly about uh, acts and singers and bands and and history. Where did did this come from? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, music is the universal language. You know, we're talking about things that separate us. Music 
brings us people together. And, and uh, I like to salute whichever artist that particular day has a birthday. So like yesterday, it was Valerie Simpson from Ashford and Simpson. So I posted their famous hit, Solid, which is it's just a great song. And, and it turns out they're they wrote a lot of the great songs from Motown that, that we all hmm. love, like uh, Stop in the Name of Love. And they were great songwriters as well as great performers. And mm-hmm. so so every week I do a gospel song for Sunday. And then uh, on Fridays, I do a Funky Friday selection, <laughs> which is it's always fun trying to pick out something for that. That It might be slightly topical. It might not. It might yeah. not be uh, James Brown, just because, you know, how yeah. can you go wrong with James yeah. Brown? And and sometimes it's people from Florida. Like, I, I love to post songs from uh, the Tedeschi Trucks Band, which is based up, up in uh, your area. Yep, Jacksonville, absolutely. Yeah, and to that yeah. point, Jacksonville is looking at beginning or funding or, or starting down a road that would build what amounts to a Southern rock museum here because uh, Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchett, right. Most, most famously came out of Jacksonville and Jacksonville was a real crucible for that whole Southern rock scene Uh in the late sixties and seventies. The, the museum would focus on more than that, but the Southern rock aspect of it would be uh, major. Yeah. And you could throw in the Allman brothers who came out of Mm -hmm. Daytona beach. Which is blows people's mind. They they think they they think of them as being from Macon, Georgia. Well, that's where they ended up. Mm-hmm. They started in Daytona Beach. That's where they. That's where Dwayne Allman dropped out of high school to to focus on playing the guitar, yeah. and they started playing clubs around that area. So. All right, Craig. Florida you're... has a rich musical tradition, no which question. is a topic for another show. So <laughs> Absolutely. We'll get to that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> Before we bring in Diana, I've got a question as a Florida transplant to a Florida native that I'm hoping you can help me out with. Why does the Department of Environmental Protection in Florida not protect the environment? <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me you expect the Florida legislature to pass good laws. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, what I'm speaking about is uh, an article Craig wrote for the Florida Phoenix online recently about the Department of Environmental Protection and the going on five years it's taken them now to uh, start improving the water quality they were mandated to do. Yeah, the legislature passed a law in 2016 that said the DEP has a year to come up with this new definition for water uses that are cause harm to outstand the Florida's outstanding springs, and there's like 30 outstanding springs. We have more big springs than any any place else in the world. Some of them are state parks, which mm-hmm. means we, the public, own them, and yet there are practices that are causing them harm. People are taking too much water out of the ground, which hurts the flow to the spring. People are putting pollution out, you know, like too much fertilizer, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and that harms them and causes the growth of toxic algae blooms. So the legislature pointed the finger at the DEP and said, this is something you must do in a year. And instead, the DEP has every year given itself another extension of another year, and there, there's never any explanation. They just say, we need more time to come up with the definition and hold public hearings. It's like, but, but what's taken so long? And so I actually called up the DEP and said, can you help me out? And the answer I got was, Basically, we're working on it, and yeah. they and they didn't really define it. So, so in the column I wrote for the Florida Phoenix, they said, you know, maybe they need more time to come up with the answer for why they need more time. Yeah, well, so. it's, uh, <laughs> it's going on five years, and you know, it, one of the things again, I, I'm coming to realize the longer I live in Florida, water is everything. Whether it's mm-hmm. the 
uh, oceans, sea level rise, offshore drilling, whether it's the springs and these big corporations wanting to pump millions of water out of it a day for bottling or to water golf courses, whether it's the algae blooms, whether it's the red tide, which destroys tourism in this state, or the water flows out of Lake Okeechobee that are supposed to go to the Everglades but are siphoned off by big sugar. This whole state runs on water. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And all of the issues related to the usage of water uh, in this state really are, are, are of primary importance to just about every other issue in the state. Oh, yeah. It's so fundamental to us, and yet, you know, most people don't even think about that. You know, that when they when they turn their uh, yeah. turn on their tap, you know, what if it doesn't come out? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Hopefully, we never get to that point. If we do get to that point, Diane Beckman at the Florida House is uh, going to represent us in Washington. Hopefully, so let's bring Diana in now. Tell us where you're from and how you wound up representing Florida in Washington D.C. Oh yes. So I was uh, I was born in Eustis, uh, north of Orlando, north of Deland. My dad had moved down to to Florida when he was in high school, and wow. my mom up in yeah. Oh, he tells crazy stories of old Fort Lauderdale High, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was a it was definitely a uh, an interesting place to be growing up. My grandfather, his father, was actually a welder at the port of in Fort Lauderdale back in the 40s oh, wow. and 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. My dad was a hospital administrator, and so we lived all over Florida, um, including up in the Panhandle, and eventually settled down in uh, Winter Park, right near Orlando. That's where I went to last part of elementary school, middle school, high school. And then when I graduated, I headed up to FSU. And my mom was not a Floridian. Uh, she came from the Midwest, and every time there was an opportunity that my dad had a business trip to go on, um, that would last more than a few days, uh, like conferences, things like that. My mom would turn around and go, "We are all going." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> was it was it the yeah. heat that got to her, or the did she have allergies for the pine, or what? <laughs> yes, 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 and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to know, my mom still lives in Winter Park, so she may have moved down there at twenty five, but she has stayed. So she claims now, she says she's from the Midwest and we all laugh because we're like, you're a transplanted Floridian mom. What is the Florida House? So the Florida House is our state embassy in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to connect, celebrate, and champion Florida to the world. The, the great news is we are the only state with an embassy. And when you tell people that Florida has an embassy, they always cock their head one way, either to the right, to the left. <laughs> And look at you, and they go, why? <laughs> and, you know, my initial reaction is I look at them and I go, because we're Florida. <laughs> I mean, That's, yeah, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah. If, if anything, Have you never heard of Florida? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't you know? Well, and I, I also like to reference this uh, ad campaign by the Florida Department of Tourism. Uh, back in the 90s, Florida, the rules are different here. <laughs> Some we people think that means there are no rules, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, but we were actually the vision of uh, Rhea Child, wife of Lawton Child. And in the late 1960s, uh, the entire Child family, uh, including their four kids, were came up to Washington, D.C. for a vacation. And while they were here, they got lost. 
it is incredibly easy to do in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., <laughs> even with GPS. And uh, one of the kids said, well, Mom, uh, why don't we go to the Embassy of Florida? Because <laughs> you... <laughs> From the mouth of from the mouth of babe. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. You know, you've told us about embassies. Embassies help people. We need help, so (laughs) let's go to ours. To this day, there is still debate as to which of the four child's children said that. Really? Um, But they all. Yep. They all all take credit for it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) What? What about? What was this? The eighties? Actually, it was the sixties. Late sixties. Oh wow! Okay. So when um, when Senator Childs, when Lawton Childs was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1970, um, obviously Mrs. Childs was uh, uh, spending some more time up in Washington, D.C., and she couldn't get that comment out of her head. And so she was on Capitol Hill and found this dilapidated row house just behind the Supreme Court. The row house was built in, in the 1890s by Edwin Manning, one of the architects of the Library of Congress, and it was in awful shape, just awful shape. But she said she stood there across the street and looked at that house, and she could just visualize the Florida flag flying. And she said, that's it. That's hmm. my embassy. Yeah. And how long so did it she, take to restore it? Uh, it took about a year to restore it. She bought the house in 1972, and we opened in 1973. And we are a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. And what is surprising is that we take absolutely no money from the state of Florida. So now, wait, how, when, how did she buy it? Did she use her own personal funds? Uh, she raised $120,000, and then she and Senator Childs put in $5,000 of their own money. Oh, wow. So there's, yeah. there's a little bit of Red Lobster money in there is what you're telling me. <laughs> that's is. where he made his money, yeah. <laughs> what do you do specifically? We are, um, again, we're a nonpartisan nonprofit organization, and we are basically here to be a home away from home for Floridians in our nation's capital. Um, we really started off initially with hospitality because this was obviously pre-internet and people would come up to Washington, D.C., either uh, looking to, to go to school, to move up here permanently or vacation and have no idea where to start. So people, Floridians hmm. would come to Florida House to understand how D.C. works. What do I do? How do I, you know, what are safe places to live in? How How in the world do I navigate this? this incredibly complex city. And with the advent of the internet, we obviously have have shifted into that. We still do hospitality. We give tours of our house. Um, We have a permanent collection and we have rotating uh, exhibits that we have. And orange juice. I I remember my my senior high class visiting there and you guys gave us all orange juice. (laughs) Everyone who walks in is offered a glass of Florida orange juice. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> we do education programs. Um, when we have school groups that come up to Washington, D.C., they come by Florida House, and we talk with them about the impact Florida has had on Washington, D.C. We also uh, rent the house out to outside groups who are able to to use it as a gathering spot. Now, you keep saying nonpartisan, but I happen to know that there is, there is one group that you guys are deathly opposed to. Oh, there are two things. Yes, yes. <laughs> There are two things we fight at Florida House. One is college football, and <laughs> the other is Texans. <laughs> now, explain why Texans. Well, first of all, there's always been a, a, a friendly rivalry with, between Florida and Texas. Um, they think they're better than us, and we, we know we are because mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're, we're Floridians. But in the 1980s, 
uh, a group of Texans actually tried to buy Florida House. Uh, <laughs> the nerve. Turn it. Yes, the nerve. They wanted to turn it into their embassy. Uh, <laughs> and wisely, Mrs. Childs said, no, that's not happening. <laughs> In fact, funny story, when I first started at Florida House um, a little less than uh, three years ago, there was an event happening. An outside group had rented Florida House for an event, and uh, Secretary of Energy Rick Perry was showing up. Uh Uh-oh. A Texan. Yep, and Texan, former governor of Texas. He knew our governor at the time, Rick Scott, very, very well. And Secretary Perry comes. He's outside the house getting ready to come in. I, I welcomed him, introduced myself, and he said, Diana! So tell me about this place. And I obviously can't do a good Texan accent. That's okay. Close enough. I explained it to him and he goes, mm-mm. All right, I'm gonna have to call Rick Scott and see if I can get me one of these. And I just laughed. So Texans are very jealous. Very <laughs> jealous of our embassy. You both being Florida Natives, I've got a, a somewhat serious question for you. When people think about Florida now, they think Florida man and all these wacky machete stories and alligators and obviously the, the theme parks. How and ha- nakedness. And nakedness, yeah, <laughs> yes. lest we forget. How do you think the perception of Florida has evolved through the 70s, 80s, 90s into the, the new millennium and today? Craig, I'm going to let you take that first. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, um, in the 20s, we were a place where people initially first got the idea of that's a great place to go vacation and I can buy real estate and make a ton of money. And then, you know, the bottom fell out and uh, we were part of the sort of the poor South in the uh, in the Depression. And then uh, that's around the time when we started realizing, hey, we need to really emphasize tourism and we need to put ourselves out there as a great place for the tourists. And World War II actually helped us because mm-hmm. a lot of servicemen trained here, fell in love with the place, and then came back and bought houses on the GI Bill and came back to visit as well. So, you know, we sort of, we got this reputation as a fun and sun place in the 40s and 50s. Unfortunately, that's when all the gangsters kind of came out, too, and the Cassaver <laughs> hearings showed off how, how much of the state was, uh, you know, un- underneath that surface that was corrupt. Fortunately, NASA came along and made us look more, more futuristic, more new frontier than we were before. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so we kind of got back that whole tourism concept of Florida being, you know, a great place to visit and have fun, and, and <laughs> the rules are different here. And then along came the 2000 election, and that's that's sort of the mark, the point where Florida man started come to, coming to the fore, where, where you know, we, <laughs> we managed to screw up everything for the entire United States for three weeks. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to try to do our recount, we had a we had a secretary of state in charge of the elections who didn't know the elections law and mm-hmm. and, and thought that being secretary of state meant that she could travel to other countries and act <laughs> as an ambassador. Like, no, that's not what it means, Ms. Harris. From that point on, we kind of had that reputation. We started building the reputation of Florida as a place where wacky stuff happens. And I'd say uh, our last podcast was about state symbols. I'd say our new state symbol ought to be the guy who go, who went out in the middle of the hurricane <laughs> with the American flag and was, you know, jamming to the headbanger. <laughs> Whose name, by the yeah. way, the guy's name, by the way, is Lane Pittman. Not related to me, but <laughs> <laughs> let me let me turn that question slightly to you, Diane. So when people come to you and you're representing Florida, how do you represent Florida given what our reputation is these days? That's a that's a really good question because Florida is such a 
state full of contradictions. I mean, yes. we we can all agree Pensacola is radically different than Miami. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, yeah. It's and Pensacola's proud is. of that. And so is Miami. <laughs> so is Miami. <laughs> and so is Miami. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, we're all we're we're like you know little Italian city states where we're mm-hmm. all part of the country, oh. but we're all part of the state. But you know, everyone's got their own their own character and their own feel, and that's one of the things that that you know we try and do every day when we get visitors in. I, I like to say, you know, we combat Florida man stories every day because people walk in and go, I know about Florida. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what you know. Well, I've been to Disney and I've been to South Beach. I'm like, that's fantastic. We have a collection of Florida highwaymen painting. Oh, Let me tell you really? about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, because, you know, our state is so rich and culturally diverse. You know, we want to make sure people leave and know about the barefoot mailman. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure people know what what we do in agriculture, um, what we do in citrus, what we do in space. Um, just like you said, Craig, the Kennedy Space Center and I Dream of Genie put Florida on the map with, mm-hmm. yeah. with technology and, and space. And Disney, yeah. What, and Disney. what is the I Dream yeah. of Genie connection? I'm not aware of this. I Dream of Genie, the, um, it was set in Cocoa Beach. Oh, really? Yeah, no Major Major Nelson was an astronaut. Okay, I never and watched. He was on, All right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, so the so basically, you had a genie running around, <laughs> blinking her eyes at uh, at various things around Cocoa Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, through pop culture, through you know, so many different avenues. I mean, er, college football. Yeah, you know, everybody who walks in has an oh, opinion yeah. about college mm-hmm. football. And at Florida House, we have an extensive collection of collegiate football helmets. Really? Um, huh. Oh, yeah. People get so excited when we go down to our lower level and show, and they're like, okay, all right, that's mine. That's not mine. I don't like them. I don't. <laughs> <and> again, <laughs> it's really making sure people understand how amazing we are as a state. We love our beaches, but we're more than our beaches. We are everything from, you know, kind of crazy politicians, but. All over the place, there is, there's a place for you in Florida. There just yeah. really is. And right now, we've got an exhibit on our state parks. Oh, our, good subject. Our, our award-winning state parks, because yes. we have a lot of awards. And does it include, does it include the mermaids of Wikiwachi, I hope? Heck yes, it does. <laughs> okay, because, you know, we're the only state that has mermaids on the state payroll. <laughs> we have so much fun telling our visitors that as part of the state budget, Water, waterproof makeup is, is a <laughs> part of it. <laughs> and then we made a sinkhole into a state park, Devil's Mill Hopper. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. We did. That, that, again, shows the resourcefulness of us Floridians. It's, yes. What is your favorite aspect of Florida to share with visitors uh, who want to learn more? There's so many. There's so many. Making sure people, people know that Florida has such opportunities. There's such a diversity of people and experiences that you can have. And I really, when I do tours, I want to find out from our visitors, what do you know about Florida? What do you like about it? What are you interested in? And let me, let me tell you something interesting about that aspect of it. I think our Florida man stories are hilarious. I love them. I'm a, I'm a huge champion of, of Florida man and Florida woman stories. But I want to make sure everybody who walks in goes out with a into Florida House goes out with with a different appreciation, a new appreciation for the state of Florida. And when they talk to their friends, they go, "You know what I learned about Florida? Florida has more cats. 
than Texas. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> what kind of questions do you get besides why does Florida have an embassy? Yeah, that's the big know? one. They want to know how we were established. How again? Mm-hmm. How how did this happen? Um, but also just. They're so curious. You know, people are like, I never heard about this. And we just had to come in and see what in the world this is. Because people, we know what an embassy does. We know that a traditional embassy uh, is there for cultural resources, is there to help the citizens where you go to get get a visa. Or if you have if you have a problem, you go to your embassy when you're traveling overseas. But what in the world would somebody do at a state embassy? And that is the biggest overwhelming question. And again, we bring them in. We want to get you excited about Florida, tell what we're doing, but also turn around and go, are you new to D.C.? What can we help answer for you? Because we've all, all my staff, we've lived in D.C. for years, and we can we can help you find your place not only here in Washington, D.C., but go back and tell people in Florida or Colorado or wherever you're from, oh, my God. This place was amazing. I had the chance to learn something. I laughed. I heard crazy stories, but I walked out of there feeling, feeling like I had a, I had a place. I have a place in D.C. How do you like living in the district compared to Florida? I tell you, I love both places. After I graduated from FSU, I moved up to Washington D.C. with my with my best friend, uh, Wendy, and we were complete completely unprepared for what we were getting ourselves into. And our first stop was actually Florida House. Um, it was the late 80s. Yeah, yeah. So that's what my mom said. She's like, you have to go to Florida House. They will make sure you don't do something stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think you have that kind of power, but you, you try, I'm sure, at Florida House. <laughs> we try. We try. Um, you know, my first resumes that went out in D.C. had the Florida House address on it. Um, oh, wow. This was before cell phones, before mm-hmm. the Internet. We had a message board, and so people could come in and get their messages. And the best thing Florida House had in the late 1980s for a young college graduate was the happy hour list. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Places you could go and vital be sure, information. <laughs> be assured of meeting the movers and shakers and getting getting free food, free booze, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> DC is an expensive place to mm-hmm. live. Once once we had that list and we had a place to live, we were like, we can do this. We can do this. And sure enough, two to three times a week, my roommate and I would look at the list to figure out where we can afford to eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it's, I mean, D.C. is a very different place from, from all of Florida, but, but I love being able to represent Florida and be able to help people from my home state and to be able to go back to my home state and tell people about about our embassy. Come by. It's free. We, you know, we have air conditioning. We have orange juice. And in the winter, boy, do we have the heat on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and flip-flops are, are considered standard issue, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We even, it's funny because we get, we get families who come in and we get these kids who, uh, you know, Toddlers, preschoolers, one of the first things they want to do is take off their shoes in the house. (laughs) And these parents are horrified. I said, don't worry. My mom's been bringing me here since I was their age, and I took off my shoes. Y'all take off your shoes. Diana Beckman from the Florida House, thank you for your time today. Before we go, Go Diana, do you have a Floridian survival tip for us? Oh, yes, yes. 
I actually have two, if I can, if if I can, uh, Craig. Sure. Indulge yeah. yourself, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a public BOGO special. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. My, my Florida survival tip is for people who are coming down to Florida and either moving down there, embrace the crabgrass. <laughs> really? Crabgrass. Why? Well, when I moved up here to Virginia, to the D.C. area, there was no crabgrass. And everyone works so hard to get rid of it. It is viewed as just the worst thing that can happen to your lawn. And I thought, in Central Florida, that's all we have unless you go to a really, really nice golf course. Everybody's got crabgrass. It toughens up your feet, bonds your feet when you run barefoot. Just embrace the crabgrass, toughen your feet, and it's easy to take care of, and it's green. That's for people going down to Florida. Now, for... For all my Floridians coming up to D.C., and I say this to every single school group that we talk to, the most important thing you can do to not look like a tourist in Washington, D.C., is while you're on an escalator in the metro system, you have to stand to the right and walk to the left. Oh, yeah. If you stand on the left, because in Florida, we take up the whole escalator. It's just (laughs) what we do. We take it all up. If you stand on the left side of the escalator, oh, you will get yelled at all the time. <laughs> and run over. <laughs> yes, yes. And and I've done it before. I, I have turned around because I got to get off Metro. I got things to do. We, we need to get to the next place. You can always tell when tourist season happens because you'll hear somebody invariably, at least once on your commute, stand to the right, walk to the left. Diana Beckman from the Florida House in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for your time and all the best as you greet visitors from and beyond Florida and tell them about our wonderful state. Thank you so much, Ted. Thank you, Craig. And I want to encourage all your listeners, if you are in Washington, D.C., please come visit us. We are just behind the United States Supreme Court, and we would love to be able to welcome you to Washington, D.C. with a cold glass of orange juice and warm hospitality. That's oh. right. Don't wait Don't wait till the next presidential recount when you're over at the Supreme Court to visit. <laughs> Go by now and beat the rush. <laughs> what are your favorite spots to hit when you visit Washington, D.C., Craig? This is going to sound weird, but Union Station. Um, okay. Um, my wife and I actually honeymooned in Washington. No kidding. We the, yeah, we took the Amtrak train up. We get off the train, and Union Station is beautifully restored piece of architecture. There's mm-hmm. interesting stores in there, and so forth. And then, uh, obviously, the you know the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know everybody goes to the Air and Space Museum, and so do I. I love it. But the National Portrait Museum, National Portrait a, Gallery, it, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the Portrait Gallery is just a great. They've got such great art there. Mm-hmm. To see. So that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Washington, D.C., and here's where I will pick up uh, your vibe there on the uh, art uh, train, so to speak. Outside of New York, which is unconquered in the world as far as as art, Washington, D.C. is the second best city, not in the world, but in the United States for art. When you talk about the uh, National Gallery and its collection, the National Portrait Gallery, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, the Phillips Collection, uh, the new Glenstone Museum, which is a private museum just outside of Washington, D.C. No one thinks of Washington, D.C. as an art uh, destination, an art epicenter. It absolutely is. Uh, so, you know, while you're visiting, again, air and space, 
fantastic. Go see the uh, Hope Diamond at the Natural uh, oh, History yeah. Museum. <laughs> Do all of those. No stealing, uh, though. Yeah. <laughs> they they <laughs> no. frown and you try to walk out <laughs> no. with it like Murph the Surf. Right. Um, <laughs> but while you're there, from uh, Monet to Van Gogh to Cezanne, here's an interesting fact about the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. The only Leonardo da Vinci painting in the permanent collection of a museum in the Western Hemisphere is the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. They have an original oil painting by Leonardo da Vinci. There are not many of those and none in the Western Hemisphere. So if you want to see Leonardo da Vinci oil painting without going to uh, Venice or Florence or Rome or Paris, uh, that's the only place you can do it. Don't forget the back catalog, episodes on the villages, nudists, alligators, pythons, American Beach, a lot of great stuff to uh, catch up on in the early days of Welcome to Florida.